Welcome to episode 12 of 21st Century Boys. This is Joe Crawford. And James Crawford. And we're going to be mixing it up again, just kind of like the last episode we did. I have not had a whole lot of time to read big chunks of comics. I've been working on trying to get some more book reading done. So my comic book reading has taken a backseat as of late, especially graphic novel-wise. I try to... Uh, get my treadmill done every morning and that's cut into single comic book time so one of the things we have done is we have subscribed both to dc universe mm -hmm. and to marvel unlimited and i've already broken this because it was going to be kind of like a resolve of of mine i was going to try to get like a couple of issues read each day um uh, been a little under the weather the last couple of days, so I'm behind. But I did get two issues read, and I'll talk about those momentarily. And um, Jack, have you been using either one of them? I've been using Marvel Unlimited to okay. read like the longer series, like Ultimate Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man stuff. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Have you used the DC one at all? Not yet. I plan to soon. Though. Okay. Well, the the reason I wanted to try them was they have yearly offers. And often we just do a month and cancel, and then we do a month and cancel, and I, I wanted to go ahead and just save the money, try to do the big chunk of them, let's just commit for the year, and try to actually get some usage out of it. So I'm going to try to do, you know, either one of each every day, or one uh, publisher a day, so like do two DCs, and then do two Marvels, and do two DCs and two Marvels. But yeah, I've been doing a lot of music reading lately, and um I read a book about uh, Memphis, and I read a book about the business side of rap music, which was really good, called The Big Payback. I just finished today, Nothing But a Good Time. My buddy Kirk, uh, I think, would enjoy that one. It's an oral history of 80s hard rock and glam metal. It was That was a lot of fun. And I'm going to finish up the one I'm reading about Athens, Georgia, which is, you know, where I went to school with the University of Georgia. So... First off, what we're going to do, I'm going to talk just real briefly about the couple of issues I did get read on um, DC Universe. I want to see D I want to say DC Unlimited every time, but it's Marvel Unlimited, DC Universe. I was like DC Infinity. What am I coming up with? What did it used to be before they I got think... got rid of the the TV shows and movies? I'm not sure. No. It used to be well, now it's DC Universe Infinite and it's used to be DC Universe. Oh, okay. So it's DC... I ain't got too many eyes in there. Alright, so DC Universe Infinite. Uh, I read a couple of issues on there. I posted those on Twitter earlier in the week. Um, and based on... Uh, I can't remember real well. I've had that Peacemaker number one by Paul Kupperberg and Todd Smith, like the actual physical copy. I've had that since I was a kid. And I couldn't remember anything about it because I only ever had the first issue. So I was like, well, I want to read that. So that was what I read. And the first one uh, I read, and it turns out I read these backwards because Peacemaker uh, showed up actually in Vigilante first, it sounds like. But anyway, I read Peacemaker number one. Kind of sets up the character. He goes in. He takes care of business. Deals with some terrorists. You find out he's got a Nazi uh, father who kind of haunts him. Who kind of tortured him as a kid. 
and turned him into the killing machine he is. And as I'm reading this by Paul Kupperberg and Todd Smith, it, it, it uh, mentions that he had been in The Vigilante. Now, Vigilante is a character I have not really ever read. I think I have like one issue total. Have you ever dealt with a character Vigilante at all? No. I, I mean, outside of the fact that, you know, I know he's a Marv Wolfman character, I know next to nothing about him. He was never one I read. He was prestige format, which meant when I was a kid, he would have been at comic book stores, and I didn't get to go to comic book stores as a kid. So that was one I never got around to reading. But anyway, so cool thing, DC, <laughs> DC Universe <laughs> is um, got the Vigilante series on it. So it said, read these issues. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll read these issues. Well, as, as I'm looking those up, those issues, turns out he was actually in even earlier issue. It looks like the first time he showed up, I hope, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, was he was in issue 36. Now this issue, a lot is going on. I'm not going to know all of it because I have not read the backstory of Vigilante. I jumped in. Once again, this has got a great Mike Grell cover. I believe Dennis Cowan drew it. I'm working off memory here because I don't have any notes or anything in front of me. I literally have just an image of the cover. And written by Paul Kupperberg. So, Adrian Chase, who was the Vigilante that showed up, I believe, in New Teen Titans and was the original Vigilante, is retired. He's taken a trip on a plane. He gets on the plane... He's with, I don't know if she's a friend, a co-worker, girlfriend, what. But she's like, okay, you know, you can't be the vigilante anymore, yada, yada, yada. So some other dude has taken over the costume. Well, we don't even get like a couple of pages in. And of course, this plane is being taken over by terrorists. And this guy's a former vigilante. He wants to jump in and like take care of business. And the ladies was like, no, no, don't do anything. Well, it shows up on the news. Two people see it on the news. First off, the guy who is peace, uh, the peacemaker. And, of course, he's going to go take care of terrorists. Second off, the person who sees it is the guy who's the vigilante now. So the funny thing is, this is the part that killed me when I was reading it. There's a scene in it, Jack, where... Um, have you been to an airport ever? I don't believe so. Okay, so you've not flown. Well, if you've flown, you know that you can't, like... Do what happens here. So this is this tells you right away this is in the 80s and this is not modern. The stewardess is helping the guy put his bag in the rack above the the seats. See, there's like a rack above the seats. He puts the bag in the in the rack, and grenades and a gun fall out. Okay, in this era, you would not even get two feet into an airport with a bag that had grenades and a gun in it. But anyway, and the guy's like, oops, I guess you found out we're going to take over the plane a little sooner than I liked. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, so that's how you find out the guy's like taking over the plane. So they got the people taking over the plane. Peacemaker's coming. Vigilante's coming. When they get there, they take out all the terrorists pretty quick. Pretty brutal. This is a not comics code book, so they don't have to worry about graphic violence. I can't remember how exactly how it happens, but... Crazy thing, Peacemaker ends up shooting and killing the vigilante who's supposed to be a superhero. So they take out all the terrorists, then he kills him. Well, Adrian Chase is like, oh my god, I gave this guy the mask. It's my fault, crazy ass. Peacemaker just killed him. <laughs> and so he he's killed this guy. He's laying in a pool. His uniform's like all ripped up. There's like holes all in it. 
Adrian Chase jumps out of the plane with friend in tow. And she's like, don't do it, Adrian. He's like, I gotta. And so he like takes this like blood splattered costume off the guy. And I'm thinking he's going to like put on the costume. Luckily, he only puts on the mask. And I forgot to mention earlier, he got punched so hard by the peacemaker on the plane that it like ripped his shirt off. So he's standing with like a ripped shirt, dress pants, and a bloody uh, peacemaker hood with like the goggles. I mean, a vigilante hood with the goggles on. And that's how the issue ends. He's going to go after Peacemaker. He's vigilante again. The friend he's with is distraught because he's going to go back to his old ways. And that's what's happened. So I've only read the two issues. I didn't get any reading done yesterday. I'm going to try to rectify that over the weekend, get some more issues read. I'm definitely going to um, continue with the Peacemaker appearances first off in Vigilante. Then go knock out the Peacemaker series. It's only four issues. And then after that, I'm, I'm so far what I liked of this issue is wild and crazy enough that I'm kind of interested in going in and checking out old issues of Vigilante after I've worked from 36 onwards. I think it uh, might have run 50 issues or something. So that'd be something you could knock out pretty quick. So anyway, that was my first two issues I'm going to talk about. I'm going to have Jack talk about some of the stuff he's been reading from the library and on Marvel Unlimited. So why don't you take it away, Jack? Uh, a little while ago, I read Scud, the Disposable Assassin. I, I read it, like, a month or two ago, so I don't remember everything, but I'll, sure. I'll describe it from what I remember. I really like the art. It's very fluid and cartoony. It looks very nice. The whole comic is just in, like, this black and white, and I do think I would have liked to see it in color, but it's still cool. Uh, Scud, the character, doesn't actually talk. He's like this robot assassin person. Didn't he come out of like a vending machine or something? I think so, okay. yeah. That he just can't talk or anything. But it is a pretty wordy book besides that. And I did enjoy it. I think I read ten volumes. And I read it in this trade, which is like the whole series. Well, the good thing is that's when I got... Uh... I want to say either for Christmas or with some bonus money or something. So we have that if you ever want to like dip in and read the rest of it. So Okay. Very cool. What's up next? The next one I read was Neil the Horse by Aaron Saba. I really liked it. It was very interesting. By like, It had a different piece of music after each volume, and I read it in the trade like I always do. Uh, so it had like a different just like piece of shit music after each uh, thing. It's like a little play, kind of, and I really enjoyed it. It's very cartoony and fun. It's very random, some, and there are certain sections of it which are just, like, written, like, not like a comic book, just written like a normal, like, storybook or whatever. Like prose, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed those sections, too. Now, when I was a kid, that was one of those comics I had one issue of, Mm -hmm. uh, I had ordered it from Mile High Comics that used to be in the comic books. I don't know if there is in this issue I've got right here that we're going to talk about in a minute. I don't think there is. But they would have, like, in these newsstand issues, they would have just a page and it'd be, like, a bunch of comics and it'd be, like, 50-cent books. And Neil the Horse, the one I read, there was one, and I don't know if you remember this issue because I don't know if the covers were in the volume, mm -hmm. but there was one of him breakdancing, like, spinning on his back. Oh, that was the only issue of it I ever had, but I remember really thinking it was 
fun and very cartoony. I always liked how it looked. Kind of looked like that old, like, um, 30s animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one I read was Yurisei Yatsura. Okay. Yurisei Yatsura follows this guy who's just, like, living his life, and then randomly this, like, alien girl person. Yeah, Lum. Yeah, this, well, yeah, but she decides she's going to destroy the world unless someone beats her in, like, a race. So the main guy races her multiple times, and eventually he does win, kind of. And she decides she wants to, like, date him. Right. So he's just, like, trying to live normally. And he's got a girl yeah, that he... got li- a girl he likes. He, yeah, and she likes him, and she gets really jealous of Lum. You yeah, know? and Lum just keeps following her while he's doing stuff. Yep. And it gets even worse, because then... She just brings her to, like, other scenarios where there's even more, more people who, like, try to follow the main guy. I love trying this. to get the yep. girl. And then it gets even more complex. And it's really fun. Yeah, I love I really it. I love, it. I love that. When I was growing up, that was in single issues. And it was called Mom. Um, oh. Yurisei Yatsura is the original name of the manga. But when it came to America back in... I don't know if that was 80s or 90s. Either way, it was either late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it was just called Lum. But yeah, so I've read a bunch of those in like single issues. And uh, I've read probably the same volume. Was that volume one? Yeah. Yeah, I've read that. I think the first two volumes of the of the Viz. That's that's really fun stuff. Another one, this is one I read in Shonen Jump. It's called Ayashimon. It's a newer series following one of the strongest humans on Earth. And he was disappointed with how easy it is to defeat others. After learning of these Ayashimon, which are like these alien things that are like really strong, he finds himself finally enjoying battles. From what I've read, I really like this series. The art is pretty nice to look at. It isn't out of this world, but it is very good. There are a lot of other manga references in each chapter. Like he does like a Kamehameha. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, and it's really funny. I do recommend this series. It's only like eight chapters, so very recent, but it is very good from what I've read. Right. Nice. Uh, I did a reread of Scott Pilgrim recently. I need to reread Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, you I, got like some of them for Christmas. Mm-hmm, yeah, I got all of the series in color. Nice. I originally only read it in black and white, so I reread it again. And this is, as previously mentioned on other episodes... Probably my favorite comic series uh, is this very cutesy art that's very nice to look at, and I think it gets better between each volume. It's like this six-volume series that has chapters, and it's basically formatted like a manga, right? except it is like front to back. I'm not sure. I think I think when I worked at Books A Million, it actually even got put with the manga. Yeah, it instead, did get put with the manga. Yeah, instead of with like a, the graphic novels. Yeah, It follows... This Canadian boy that's like 20-something, I don't know. Scott <laughs> he Pilgrim. ain't no boy no more. Yeah. <laughs> that just like uh, decides to date this 17-year-old Chinese girl. Oh, jeez. Because Not appropriate I don't know if he era. was bored. Right. And then eventually he's dreaming of this girl named Ramona Flowers. who's mm-hmm. probably way too good for him. Definitely. And then... Oh, and he's in this band called Sex Bomb. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he goes to the library one day, and he finds her, and he 
basically stalks her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And finds out she works at Amazon, so he orders a package, and it forces her to go on a date with him. And then eventually, I guess they just start dating because he thinks he's cute or something. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. And she, he has... She has these seven evil exes, right? And that are just people who she dated previously, who just decide to all come together and decide to attack this random white boy, and <laughs> so just like this r- randomly, while he's just trying to live, he, uh, just random person will come beating him up, right. and be like, "I'm the fourth evil ex boyfriend." Uh, well, not the fourth one. Well, I, yeah, but is the fourth the, one the girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so, and then it'll just attack, and it's a really fun series mm-hmm. from beginning to end, and I do recommend it. So here's the question: I'm actually I'll, I'll make a couple of parts of it. Is the movie still worth watching? I think it's good. It is fairly different from the comic. I okay. think the comic handles things better. Sure. And I think the movie <clears> might have <throat> aged a little bit more poorly. But sure. Yeah, it's still good. Okay, and the next question I've got. I know the color format is a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard and, mm-hmm. and uh it's colored. Mm-hmm. Is it a better reading experience? Well, the thing about it is there are quite a few jokes made about the in the black one, which only makes sense in it. Like, they're jokes just about the format. Okay. Originally, that just kind of don't work. But I think for the most part, it is pretty fun. I don't think there is really much of an advantage to read it in color, but if you prefer that, then I would recommend it. Is this having it larger, the pictures larger, beneficial? Yeah. Because I was going to say, the one thing, like, if you take, like, I don't know, something old from Viz Media, like um, Dragon Ball, where they've done the Viz Big, the Mm -hmm. one definite positive is, other than the few color pages you'll get as an insert, since it's a nicer format. You do get a larger size, which can be nice. Yeah. Okay. Cool, cool. Well, I am going to jump in and do the first of two stories from Marvel Tales, issue 100. Jack, help me pick this one out. This is a big, thick one uh, from 1978. It's got a yellow cover with Spidey crawling across it. Big 100th issue, Spidey Battles, Luke Cage, Power Man, plus an all-new Hawkeye and Two-Gun Kid Adventure. So, we'll do the first story first. One thing we just did, and it's going to tie into this, we just watched um, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Mm -hmm. which deals with the death of... Oh my gosh, I almost said Gwen Stefani again like last night. Mm -hmm. It does not deal with the death of Gwen Stefani. Gwen Stefani, as far as I know, is very much alive and happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It deals with the death of Gwen Stacy. So, interestingly enough, this happens... And I never knew this because I guess I've never done a read through, but I've I've read the the death of Green Goblin, death of Gwen Stacy issues, but I've never read the follow up. Interestingly enough, this is right after this is originally presented in Spider Man one twenty three. The title of the story is just a man called Cage, and you get a splash page. You've got kind of the ghosty overlooking Spider Man and J Jonah Jameson talking with. Um, uh, Robert, uh, I can't think of the fellow's name. Anyway, his last name's Robertson. Um, this is a story by Jerry Conway, uh, art by Gil Kane and John Romita. And Romita and 
I don't know who this fella is. T Morta or or female could be. I'm not sure. T Mortel or Rock. I'm not even gonna try it. Anyway, some other person besides John Ramita helped ink it. So Harry Osborne's dead, and Robertson and Jameson are standing over him, and they're discussing how did my best friend Norman Osborne get killed? And as we all know. He was killed during a fight with Spider-Man. Um, we see a man up in the shadows saying, Well, I took his Green Goblin outfit off of him and laid him in the street. That's pretty weird. So yeah. dude strips him naked, put him in, puts him in regular clothes, and lays him in the street for them to find his body so that they don't know it's um, Green Goblin. Gross. I would not want that job. Anyway, so... Jameson is convinced that Spidey has to do with his best friend's death, so he's going to get someone to go after him. He just happens to be reading the paper, and it's a picture of... I mean, this is his paper. Why would he have to look at his own paper for the inspiration? Doesn't he, like, approve it? I don't get this. I thought it, I thought he... every I thought publisher, he always looked at everything before it printed. Anyway, apparently he didn't know he was running a cover story about Luke Cage, but it says, Hero for Hire, question mark... And it's about Luke Cage. So Jameson is going to go get Luke Cage to track down Spider-Man. So then the next thing we go to, and this is what ties into Amazing Spider-Man, is the funeral for Gwen Stacy. We've got Robertson again there, Aunt May, Flash, looks like maybe Betty Brant, um, Peter, and they're at the funeral and Flash wants you uh, wants you to know, Peter, that he never did anything with Gwen because that's the appropriate time to bring that sort of thing up is right after she died and somebody's grieving. But whatever, I guess he's trying to be nice for Flash. And Flash walks away. May's crying. MJ's aunt's crying. Um, Robertson says Jonas sends his condolences and he couldn't make it. He had other business to attend to, which is tracking down Spider-Man. Of course, Robertson doesn't know that, but whatever. Uh, Peter doesn't buy it. He says, he never treated Gwen like much when she was alive. Why should he pay his respects now? I don't know. I know you don't mean that, Peter. Jonah cares. He's just sometimes tactless. So what else is new? So then MJ is going to try to console him. Peter, you sound so bitter. Not bitter, Mary Jane, just lost. I don't know what to do without Gwen. She was part of my life. Come on, Peter, let me buy you a cup of java. I think you need it. I think the last thing this kid needs is a bunch of caffeine, but whatever. Jameson, he is now in Times Square, going up a set of stairs, and he hears a whoomp, and someone's thrown down the stairs at him. And uh, luckily... Jameson dodges out of the way. Are you look cage? That's the word I answer to, mister. You got a gripe too? N -n -n no gripe. Let me, let me see you some other time, man. Today's Saturday and I don't work weekends. That's what I told that other dude. He didn't listen. Uh, perhaps we could talk? No law against it. Just don't try hustling me with a rod like that other punk. Gets me mad, know what I mean? See here, are you certain you won't take a job today? And Jonah waves a big wad of cash in his face. It's like I said, Saturday's a day of rest. Of course I could rest on Monday. I thought you'd see it my way. And basically, Jonah says he wants Spidey dead or alive. So, Peter 
swings on top of the building. He just tries to get away from everything. He knows MJ's heart is in the right place, but he just can't deal with that right now. But, you know, he's ready to give up the, the costume. And right when he says that, bam, right on, wall crawler. You're finished, and Cage is here to do the job. What the? And Luke bounds into him, knocks him across a building. They crash and destroy a ledge. And he said, I'd figure you'd show up here sooner or later. And basically, he said the three places that Spider-Man has seen most often are this neighborhood, at the university, or at the Daily Bugle. So that makes me think, like, um, Peter, you need to do a better job of where you're at because if this guy who knows nothing about you could figure it out that quickly, that's not a great thing. So they have a nice fight scene, as will happen in Marvel Comics when two heroes meet each other. And words get kind of nasty. He basically calls... Uh, Cage a mercenary because you know at this point Luke Cage is a hero for hire so he's working for money and Luke doesn't take too kindly to that he almost knocks Peter off a building but then Peter comes back thanks to his spider webs knocks Luke through a couple of pa uh, plate glass windows and leaves him there and Luke says I'm coming for you so Peter goes back to the apartment you have a nice vision of him swinging in and landing perfectly in the room. He's worried about what's going to be up with Harry, because Harry apparently just uh, came off his drug escapade. That's another really famous issue of Spider-Man that was written um, uh, famously the first time they did it without the comics code, uh, because they wanted to show the, the, the dangers of drug abuse. So anyway... Harry's just kind of going, mm, sitting there reading the paper. He won't talk to Peter. And Peter finally gives up and goes to a concert with MJ. Relax, Peter, please. I asked you to come to this school concert for a reason, mister. You've just got to get out of yourself, you dig. Um, I don't know what get out of yourself means. Yeah. yeah anyway. So, of course, what did we tell you earlier? The one place to look for Spider-Man, if not Daily Bugle and not in that neighborhood, is where? State U. So, Luke Cage busts into the party because, you know, of course Spider-Man would be at a party on a Saturday night. And they once again get into the fight. They're going at each other. And, um, basically, they come to an agreement. He understands where Peter's coming from. Peter kind of understands where Luke is coming from. And then we flash to the uh, office of J. Jonah Jameson at the Daily Bugle. Luke Cage is coming out. And Betty Brant says to Robertson that he is with a client right now. And you hear, vroom, 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 vroom. Oh dear, don't sweat it, sister. Your publisher man's real fine. Just had to return some money he gave me. Turns out I couldn't take the job after all. And you say Jameson with dollar bills stubbed, shoved down his throat. And we end with Peter and MJ. Peter, you almost walked past me. Did I? Sorry, MJ. Guess my mind was on other things. Just had a talk with someone, and it made me suddenly realize I'm not really alone after all. Next issue, The Mark of the Man-Wolf. And we'll come back for my next story after Jack tells us about some more of his stuff. Uh, one I recently got was Akira Toriyama's Manga Theater. This is a publication of three mangas originally published in Japan, which are just a collection of short stories by Akira Toriyama, published 
in the Shonen Jump magazine around like before Doctor Slump in all of his series in Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, a lot of it is what you expect from Gokiri to Horiyama. The series is very good. It's a lot more like Dragon. I mean Doctor Slump than Dragon Ball, but you can still definitely see there is a volume. There is a story which is just like a prototype. For Dragon Ball, there's even a character named Roshi still. He's more uh, familiar. I mean, he's more like reminiscent of the one he faces in the tournament, though, mm-hmm. compared to like the old pervy man you see in the <laughs> comic. Right. Uh, there are some other fun stories that just are about everything from like cowboys to big dragons. And I do recommend it. It's it was originally only thirty five dollars, but still the three volumes is in, in hard hardcover and everything, yep. and the paper is nicer than like normal. Right, and it's expect. a little bit bigger too. Yeah, but you can get it norm now for like twenty five dollars on like Amazon. Yeah, I and think I do we recommend it. I think we got ours through DCBS and Right Stuff because I got a copy and you got a copy. So yeah, there's there's cheaper than cover prices out there. Another comic. This one I actually read in Marvel Unlimited is The Thing from 2005. I kind of talked about this one a little bit, or more just mentioned it. Okay. When I was talking about The Great Lakes Avengers, because the final volume is one of their appearances. Okay. It follows The Thing just living his life, and he's like one of the richest guys now, because he's a superhero and he's profiting off of it. But because of that, he's being very, like, judged, and he gets put in, like, this tournament thing or not like a tournament he's going to a theme park and then arcade from the x-men decides to trap him and all the citizens there so the thing tries to get out it's just crazy and then after that there's a story about this old guy he used to work for but he's just not working with him anymore so he gets mad that he's like profiting and the old guy's not and he's like and things were like, well, I'll give you money for the work I didn't do. And he's like, I don't want none of your money. I want you to work how you needed to. And so he's upset. The thing's very upset. He's, but he finally decides to work over there when he has the time. And it turns into the story about like him just trying to go back to like his old town and make sure everybody's okay. And restore his trust for everyone else. Sure. The final story... He has this little, like, card game where, like, all the Marvel characters come to participate. Oh, like a poker game? Yeah, like a poker game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just the final volume. He's just playing a poker game with, like, every single character. And they talk about, like, the stories and stuff. That sounds great. It's so great. And, like, I might have not mentioned, the Great Lake Avengers come and and they beat everyone in the card game. And Flatman wins. What? And then... They call themselves the champions. Okay. That's where they talk about, like, Great Lakes X-Men, and then the X-Men are like, nah, you can't do that. Great Lakes Avengers, we're the Avengers, you can't do that. Great Lakes Defenders, nah, we're the Defenders, you can't do that. They finally decide on champions, and then the one guy there's like, hey, <laughs> we're the champions. You can't and win. And then they're like, just let them have it. It's a very fun series, and I do recommend it. It's only eight volumes, but it's very good. Oh, and that issue is not available right now. It's I have to, not. No, I have to put it on my want list. That yeah, sounds like a good, good one to get, though. 
That looks great. Oh my gosh, that cover is great. Oh, it's Dan Slott. So mm-hmm. Dan Slott, um, he's a lot of fun. He did the uh, one of the my favorite She-Hulk runs. So mm-hmm. that's very cool. Another one I read. This is a trade. It's called Iron Man Doom Quest. It's four volumes. Two there's two sets of two, so like two in a row, and then a hundred volumes later, and then two in a row again. The first story follows Iron Man and Doctor Doom. They're just fighting, and then they go back in time somehow. There's this one guy who's like, I'm tired of working for Doctor Doom, and they somehow make some time machine that brings them back to time, to like I don't know when, probably like Roman something. Okay. Uh, and so Iron Man and Doctor Doom go to this castle, and the king's like, "You gotta stay here for one day, and then I'll let you stay here." But Doctor Doom escapes, and he's just like destroying everything. So Iron Man <laughs> has to go over and beat him up, and then they eventually decide to work together to make a time machine, so then they can go back to normal. And then Doctor Doom beats up the guy that made the time machine to bring him up. Oh my gosh. And, was, then, and it's not Kang or Immortus? No, nah, it's just some random like scientist. Oh, okay. And then a hundred and then Doctor Doom's like, Well, I'll finish this fight later and then a hundred volumes later they have another <laughs> fight. And it's I don't know exactly So was the first fight from like the sixties and the second one was from the eighties? I'm not sure. This is volume hundred forty nine and hundred fifty of oh, okay. Iron Man. Okay. Gotcha. And then go to 249 and 250. So directly 100 volumes after. Right, right. And I don't remember the story as much because it wasn't as good. But there's this kid who traps them in like his mansion or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Iron Man and Doctor Doom have to work together again. But they actually finish the battle. And it's a pretty fun time. I read this in the trade Iron Man Doom Quest. And I do definitely recommend it. From all the Doctor Doom stories I've read, which I will not mention all of them because I don't want to talk about too much, uh, these were probably the best. Okay, so it looks like they were both times um, Dave Michelini, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Bob Layton, Mm -hmm. but they were eight years apart. The first one was in 81 and the second one was in in 89. So that's that's really, really cool. Okay, Mm -hmm. you got another one you want to do? Uh, I'll talk about two more, and then you can go to your thing. Okay. Uh, next one I have is Gwenpool. I recently reread that one, because I just wanted to check it out, and it's fun. It's about... I love the cartooning in that one. Yeah, the art is very nice, and it's about this girl who is Gwen Stacy. Right. Who who knows that she's reading the comic book, Mm -hmm. and she actually has the stories just, like, in her world, and she just, like, reads them, and then they're like, Ha! You're Doctor Doom, and you got defeated by Iron Man twice. He's like, oh no! Uh, <laughs> and it's just very fun. Later on, she works for Modok to kind of just, I don't know, find out stuff. And there's this other person she works for to kind of just be able to actually do stuff. Because even though she like knows everything... That's really the only thing going for her. She doesn't have a healing factor. She doesn't know how to fight. She just knows what to defeat others with. Yeah, she she's literally just a just a kid. She's just some random kid yep. who knows this. Did did um did this cover like a like a a big chunk or was it like six issues? I think or it something? was the six. Okay. Six. Okay. I had a very fun time with this, and 
it was very good. Like I mentioned, she faces Modok and somehow defeats him. But she gets some training from this other guy working for Modok, and she learns how to like teleport. Nice. I'm not sure, but it's very fun. And then so I'm talking about is Modok Head Games, okay. which directly does is kind of a continuation. Is this Modok right after that? Okay. And Gwenpool faces him. But it's all about like him trying to get back to his family. If you watch the cartoon, it's made by the actual same people, like the same writers. Pat Oswalt? Yeah, which is very cool. Cool. And, and that's pretty recent, I want to say. That's... Yeah, it's pretty recent. I think like 2018, 2019. Okay. Maybe before that. Okay. Maybe after. Uh, You get to see him out of his suit a lot. So you get to see like his big head. <laughs> his like, little body going around. <laughs> and... When he's trying to return to his family to, like, get back to this party, Gwenpool is kind of a villain, because she's like, you're a bad guy, you can't go poop, 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 stinky, stinky. Well, it's all like, it's a matter of perspective. To him, she would be a bad guy. Yeah, she's just trying to return to his kid's birthday party. Right. And she's like, no, 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 I gotta defeat you. <laughs> so he beats him up. I'm not even. I don't remember if he gets back. I don't think he does. Oh no. So, so she defeats him, and then there's a page where she like accidentally goes to, I don't know, the fourth dimension or something. Right. Where she's just like in that white space with her like rack of comics, and then she just has this thing that's like tear this page out. This you're not supposed to know about this. And it's pretty funny. Oh, you can get you can get that pretty oh, ten dollars. Yeah, ten bucks That's on nice. uh, my comic shop. So you you can pick this one up. Sounds like a good pickup for a for a pretty good price out there. Just, yeah, just eleven bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. I will. Uh, I definitely am going to have to check that one out. I may uh, may check it out on Marvel Unlimited. That can be my my reading for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. All right. So I got one more story. There is a backup feature in this. I'm not going to read it. Um, it's typical. I'll show it to Jack. It's uh, Secrets of Spider-Man, and it's basically kind of like for someone who, if you didn't know much about the character, and it's Ditko art, and it's, you know, once again, the origin, the fact that he can lift a lot of weights, how the web shooters work, how he's able to crawl, shows like a fight he had with uh, the Fantastic Four, and the different things he can make with the webs, he can make a shield, a parachute, skis I didn't know, that's a new one. (laughs) That's pretty wild. He can make glue. He can make a ball. And kind of gives a breakdown of the costume, like when he's, like, uh, undressing, which, ooh, sexy. Anyway, so the uh, fun thing in here, actually, is a little bit of a weird one. And I wonder if this is what they would would have called an inventory story. This is kind of like a story that they commissioned, and they're like, I don't know what we're going to do with this. Because they have a hard time. They're like thinking that they were just like, hey, let's do this random story that has nothing to do with Spider-Man for Marvel Tales, but what do I know? Okay, so this one's called Killers of a Purple Rage. Get it? Not Purple Sage. Um, anyhow, uh, the writer is Scott Edelman. Uh, really good art by Mike Nasser uh, and beautifully inked by Terry Austin. Mary Titus is our colorist. Don Biardi is a letterer, and Roger Stern is the editor. So um, we've got the two horses with two riders out in the middle of the desert. 
and it's 1977. So this was uh, a story that would have taken place a year prior to the issue we're reading. But this is the first time it's been published. And we get a note in here. It says, note, this story takes place before DD-147. You're like, why DD? Well, you'll find out in a second. Be patient. And Avengers-161. So, Two-Gun Kid, Hawkeye, are riding along on horses... And Hawkeye makes the note that, you know, peacefully, Two-Gun, this is one of the last places left on Earth where you could fool yourself into still thinking it was 1873. I have no complaints, Hawkeye. I came to the present by choice, remember? Besides, any time period with horses like these is good enough for me. I've even been teaching this wild one. I tamed a few tricks. Tricks all my nag is good for is, Whoa! and they like fall through a hole in the ground. Meanwhile, directly below, it's the Purple Man Kilgrave. And I don't remember him ever having this intricate of an outfit, but, you know, I've only read like a handful of Kilgrave uh, strips. But he's remembering back to when he fought Daredevil. That's why it tells you when it takes place with Daredevil. And he's plotting his revenge for what happened. And all of a sudden, there's a hole in the, in the roof. Now, this looks pretty high up, right? Mm-hmm. It says chalk. I guess that means that the ceiling's cracking. Here's my thing that I have a problem with. I'm calling a little bit of shenanigans on this. Two horses come flying through the ceiling. Wham! Lands on its shoulder. Okay, maybe the humans roll out of this okay. I don't have... I don't think a horse could drop like... What is that? 20 feet? And not be hurt. These horses just pop right up. I call shenanigans. Anyway. Do you know how Kilgrave works? No. Okay. So the way Kilgrave works is he controls people. So he can say, you do this. So they are sorting out what's going on. Somehow the horses aren't hamburger. Two-Gun and Hawkeye confront him. And he says, goodbye, gentlemen. You may now kill each other. Hawkeye, what happened? My finger triggers itching like mad. Resist the impulse, Two-Gun. Resist. Don't be foolish. Only one man has ever resisted the purple man's spell. And in a few days, he'll join the two of you in Hades. Can't stop myself. Sorry, Two-Gun. Don't worry. It don't matter what the purple man forces you to throw at me. As long as he doesn't order me not to duck. So, they're shooting uh, arrows at each other. And he's shooting guns at him. And it ain't going to be easy to kill me as you think, Hawkeye. Because now, I'm going to have to take you out barehanded. And he punches him. And, I don't know, this is just absolutely ridiculous because he whistles for his horse, Here, Nancy, here, girl! And the horse manages to not only get up from this huge drop and not be injured, but she takes out Purple uh, purple Man Kilgrave. And that's the end of the story. Okay? So they were under his control. The horse saves the day. They ride off into the sunset with each other and leave Kilgrave. Not only did my blast arrow defeat the Purple Man, it also provided us with a nifty escape route. Just one question, Hawkeye. Since the Purple Man is the master of mind control, how can you be sure we just beat him? I mean, maybe he made us think we won to throw us off guard in the future. Don't worry about it, Two-Gun. We're right up here alive, riding into the sunset. Can't you tell a happy ending when you see one? So, honestly, it's a fun, weird little story, but it's pretty inconsequential. And it obviously is one that just kind 
kind of got thrown together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it, uh, like I say, is one that was written and they decided not to use or it was one that they did special for this issue. But anyway, there you go. 100 issue of Marvel Tales, Spider-Man, fun little story with uh, Peter and Luke Cage, and then a weird little story with Two-Gun and Hawkeye against Kilgrave the Purple Man. So, picked this one up for $3 in Schaumburg at Keith's Comics. It was 3 bucks, very well spent. You would have paid $0.60 cents for it in 1978, and I still think that probably... Well, I don't know what it was like to have $0.60 cents in 1978. I don't remember. So, I would have been 4 so I have no idea. That might have been pricey back then. It probably was. Did you want to talk about any other ones tonight, Jack? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I recently reread Silk. I read this trade, which had her first appearance, and then her first two series, which were like six volumes each. It follows this girl named Cindy Moon, who gets bit by the same spider as Spider-Man. The exact same spider? The exact same spider. Trippy. So she's locked up in like a... I don't know what it is. It's like a bunker. Like a bunker. Yeah. And eventually, Spider-Man's just doing his thing. And he found, finds his bunker and tries to help this girl. And he found finds out that she got bit by the same spider and stuff. And she makes a suit out of her webs and just starts doing stuff. And Spider-Man tries to, like, get her to stop. So, <laughs> And then, I don't know, because they're made by the same spider... They're attracted to each other, and then they start, like, making out. What? It's so weird. <laughs> That's super weird. And this is just in the random, like, I think, 2013 series. hmm And it's just, like, first six, the first, the sixth volume and the seventh volume. So, like, it's pretty early on. Okay. And then Silk follows the same girl named Cindy Moon, and she works for J. Jonah Jameson as well. I guess Spider-Man hooked him up with a job. Yeah. And she, he's really sweet on her, too. Yeah, he's really sweet on her. And even though he, like, hates Spider-Man... He loves him some he Silk. loves Silk. And yep. when, like, something bad happens and she seems bad, he's like, Silk could never do that. Yeah, that I, I thought that was interesting when I read yeah. some of those, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, he, she's just doing her thing. In a later story is eventually she starts working for Black Cat uh, because, I don't know, she needs some more money or something. Yeah, and that's when um Black Cat's, like, full-on mobster. Yeah, when she's a full-on mobster. So she goes to, goes to work for Black Cat, and so this new story's happening, and J. Jonah's like, nope, that didn't happen. This is with Hammerhead? I believe so. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so eventually they have to do this mission... Or, like, there's a bunch of people getting injected with the goblin serum. Oh, jeez. And there's a bunch of, like, kids, and she just goes to check on them. And then they all start, like, attacking her <laughs> and, like, eating her. Jesus. And then she gets injected with the goblin serum. So she's just being, like, a green goblin, like, flying around and attacking people. <laughs> and Black Cat actually had the antidote because she, she does this to find out that one of the people working for her is actually bad and not, like... Trustful, even though she's a mobster, I guess he is too bad for her. So he find she somehow finds this out. I'm not sure how this connects. Right. But she gets the antidote and she stabs it in silk, and then she shoots the guy, <laughs> and it falls out the window. <laughs> oh my gosh! 
and Silk later decides she doesn't want to work for Black Cat anymore. And that's the end of that story. So, what did you think of Felicia Hardy? Had you read anything with her before? Uh, like Silk? Like the... Author? Uh, Felicia Harder's, uh, Black is Black Cat. Oh, I thought she was funny. I liked her. Yeah, I like Black Cat a lot. The next comic I had have is Spider-Man 2099. I was like, ooh, I haven't read that one yet. Now this is the one from, like, the 1990s? Yeah, the original series. Okay. The first 12 volumes. Nice. It was pretty good. I really liked the art for it. And I very much like the setting. That was probably one of my favorite parts. It looks very futuristic. Yeah. But it also doesn't blow, like, it doesn't seem, like, too out of hand. Right. Because there's, like, Akira is set in, like, 2010. Right. And it has the same setting as Spider-Man 2099. Right. Which is in 2099. Right. So. It's always hard when they do the future, because, like, once we get there and you're like, uh, future doesn't look anything like you guys thought. Yeah, think, it still looks basically the same as like 1985. Yeah. Yeah, I think setting it that far back is like a safer bet than sure. like, oh, in like 10 years, all this stuff's going to happen and like we're going to have big space motorbikes. Right. And then there's going to be the serum who turns this guy into a big, large baby that destroys the world. Right. Yeah. Still a good serum. It's still very good. I yeah. very much like the gear. Uh, I really like the art for this one, as previously mentioned. Uh, I think the twelfth volume is probably my favorite, the final one I read, because it tackled more of his family, and I like seeing that more from the series, and I do recommend it from what I've read. I would say, um, if you like the twenty ninety nine stuff, um, one that Professor Allen was covering on Relatively Geeky, and one that I've read some of, you should try out uh, Doom twenty one twenty ninety nine. I know you like Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's really good. Oh, also, Spider-Man's kind of just, like, Iron Man, where, like, his suit is, like, technical. Right. And, like, he has, like, a person who's just the guy who... Who's the one who works for Iron Man? Like, the little, like, robot girl person? The robot in the movie or in the, the comic? Whatever. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Jocasta, maybe? Okay. Yeah, it's just like Jocasta, but it's Spider-Man version. Okay. Uh, I liked her, though. She was funny. Next one I read is Spider-Man, the original series from 1963. I think I had read the first appearance of him previously, but I hadn't read his normal series. And I really liked it. It uh, Is number one the Fantastic Four? Number one... I'm not sure. Sure. Let me look real quick. Let's see. I can look too. I got the central right here. So the very first one is the the Amazing Fantasy, and so then the first issue, yeah, first issue is when he um goes to meet the Fantastic Four. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it starts as like there being like two short stories in it, but eventually it turns into full thing. Full oh okay. Stories. So it's got it's got multiple things going on. Yeah, for the first, like, couple, but only, like, the first three or four. Okay. What I think was really interesting about this is how the main villains, the series characters we see throughout the series, they just appear in, like, the first volumes. I think that's crazy. Yeah. I think the fact that they lasted this long is, like, crazy because you see, like, Doc Ock, Sandman, all these people in just, like, the first couple volumes. Right. And I really like that. He also fought Doctor Doom. And I really like the Fantastic Four. It's very connected to the Fantastic Four as a lot of the series were. 
And that was what made Marvel so different then is um, the fact... I think DC at that point, you you had Justice League by then, but initially, most of the superheroes really didn't hang out with each other with the exception of, I think, World's Finest and the Justice League. In general, in DC, everybody kind of had their own bag. It's very connected now, but in the old days, it wasn't. And Marvel really did a good job of like, okay, these people live in the same city. They're going to run into each other. They're going to, you know, meet one another, fight with one another, get to know one another kind of a thing. <laughs> and I, I just, I remember the whole thing with Fantastic Four. He was trying to get a job, right? Yeah. Because they were going to say you could join. And then he's like, finds out you don't get paid. And he's like, later. Yeah, he's just getting money. Right, right. So he decides to work for J. Jonah Jameson. I guess all the photos while he's fighting, I guess. Right. And it's fun. I think this is the best in terms of like when he's fighting and stuff. You get to see all these villains just issue after issue. Who's your, who's your favorite villain of those early ones? Uh, I really like the Lizard story. I'm not sure if he's my favorite. Yeah. But I really did like his. Cool. My final comic I'm talking about today is Ultimate Spider-Man. This one I've been reading now for a bit. Um, and this is the Peter Parker? Yeah. Oh, okay. They haven't gone to the Miles Morales. I'm saving. So that you're for you're doing it straight through. Straight through. Okay. I'm on volume I think 48. Nice. I decided to read it on the Marvel Unlimited app, and I really like it. I think something very interesting is that compared to most of the series, it focuses a lot more on just his normal life, just doing stuff and like the drama of it all. Because when you a dude that can't be with your family, like most of your life is pretty crazy. Like, you're just, like, this kid who's, like, and he's skipping to school. He's just got to, like, do stuff. And a lot of stuff happens to him. I think this Peter gets screwed over a lot more than most other Spider-Mans, even though they're, it's kind of infamous for, like, screwing over Peter. Well, they yeah. they call it Parker, Parker luck for a reason. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker... I think in some of this stuff, I, I when, they, like, reading these Marvel tales, he gets pretty down in the mouth on himself in general but he does have pretty crappy luck in as well you know he has some one bad thing after another happened to him so he he, he doesn't have the easiest life mm-hmm. i also think i think you can see that this comic is actually a huge influence on the movies especially who's from spider-man the original movies to the Amazing Spider-Man's, it seems like it kind of provided a guideline of what to do since it was coming around, out around that time. Oh, well, I think especially the Andrew Garfield especially ones the Andrew, really Andrew Garfield. look and feel like Ultimate Spider-Man to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think the art, it does take a little bit of time for you to it to grow on you, but once it does, it's very good. Yeah, really I'm, like I'm the same. I don't always jump uh, and, and get excited about the Mark Bagley art, but uh, yeah... It, it's you, it, it becomes what you're used to once you've read enough of it. Yep. I also th- think it's very good at like just showing that this is just some random kid that got these powers. Right. Because he defeats his enemies, but a lot of the time he like loses and he has to try again. Right. Especially the Kingpin story. That's like the first ten issues. Okay. And he gets screwed over. He loses his suit. He's like dead not dead. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, he he, and he, has he gets to beaten suit. really badly. He gets beaten really bad. Right. And there's another story, which is crazy. What happens, he is just trying to save the day, and then the 
he gets shot by the police because they think he's a bad guy. Right. Because around this time, there was this person disguised as Spider-Man who's just there to get money. And he's also the guy that shot Uncle Ben. What? Okay, so that's definitely a different version in the Ultimate that I didn't remember, yeah. Yeah. So he's... And then this Spider-Man, he gets shot in the arm, and he just, like, tries to get home, but he's, like... He goes into, like, a garbage can, and he's just, like, dying. So he calls Mary Jane, and she brings him over, and then... So he gets the medical help he needs, and then he escapes, but then the doctors chase after him, because that's weird. I mean, you're not supposed to do that. And then they find out he's Spider-Man, and then... It's a crazy comic. I highly recommend it. So, having read the Stanley regular Amazing Spider-Man, and I know they're different, Mm -hmm. and the Brian Michael Bendis Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, I'm not going to ask you which one's better, because I think they're different creatures. If you were, like, this, somebody asks you, like, friend says, hey... I want to read Spider-Man. Where do I start? Would you have them start with Ultimate or would you have them start with Amazing Spider-Man? I think I'd have them start with Ultimate because it's a lot closer to what they expect from like the movies and cartoons okay. and stuff. That's fair. And also, it's only like 120 volumes and you see a lot more. It's a lot more fast-paced even though a lot happens in Amazing Spider-Man. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, Jack, for sharing that with us. Uh that was fun. I always get to getting to talk to you uh, about some comics is good times. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have to work on a music podcast, at, or, or, or well, it'll be the same podcast, but it'll be it'll be under different episode titles mm-hmm. if yeah. we, we get around to that at some point in our careers of podcasting. Yeah. Anyway, you can hit us up at Twenty First Century Boys on tri- uh, Twitter. That's two one S T C E N Boys, or you can hit me at I was Joe on Twitter and Jack at. Uh, in underscore garlic on twitter okay cool so guys thanks for listening and hope you all have a good night good night